Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I think we all struggle with, which is how do we move our kids with anxiety or OCD from dependence? And by dependence, I mean they are dependent on us to take care of their fears. They're dependent on us maybe to take care of their needs. They're very dependent on us in all areas. And how do we move that dependency to build some resiliency, to foster some independence? And ironically, these are very interconnected with how well a child will do with their anxiety or OCD. They may seem like they're not, but I'm going to talk to you today about how fostering a child's resiliency and independence directly will impact their ability to overcome and squash a lot of their anxiety and OCD symptoms. So we're going to get into that today. Before we get started, just want to remind you, if you have a picky eater at home, that Alicia Grogan's video workshop is going on right now and is still available. You can catch it and catch the replays and you can sign up at bit.ly slash picky eating help. Her workshop is going to give you her two-step process in helping picky eaters move from picky eating to healthy eating. She's phenomenal. Had her on the podcast. So if you didn't catch that, you can catch last week's episode. And I also want to mention that a good bonus episode for what we're talking about today on building up resilience in kids is episode 159. So I interviewed Madeline Levine on raising resilient kids in a changing world with her new book that was coming out. And that's a really good supplement to this episode. So if you are enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss an episode that come out every Tuesday and I would hate for you to miss them. So hit subscribe to always get notified. All right, let's move into today's topic on building up that resiliency. So ironically, the first thing that really will help build up resiliency. And when I'm saying resiliency, I don't really like these catch-all terms because it's like, what does that mean? Resiliency. Why is everyone talking about that? It's just your child's ability to overcome obstacles in general, not just with anxiety and OCD, your child's ability to do things for themselves, to pivot when something goes wrong, to be able to adapt and change. And our kids with anxiety and OCD tend to have a harder time with resilience than the average child. But here's the silver lining. I find that when we build up their skills, they actually become more resilient than the average child, the average human being. So there is a silver lining in this, in that they are faced with many more obstacles than the average kid, which makes them have to build up these skills. And if they do it and they do it successfully, they're doing better than a lot of us. (laughs) A lot of anxious people right now are doing better in the pandemic than the non-anxious people because they have been dealing with these kind of struggles and fears and uncertainty their entire life. So not everybody, but a lot of people are doing surprisingly well considering what's going on. And that is because they've built up their resiliency over the years. So the first thing that I always talk about when I talk about building up resiliency with your child is to develop good communication. So you want them to be open with you. You want them to be able to communicate with you. And also you want to be able to communicate with them in a way that isn't swooping in verbally 
and fixing their issues. So if your child comes to you and says, mom, I'm scared. I heard a noise in my bedroom and I don't know what it is. Do you verbally swoop in and say, you're fine, honey, right? And so we swoop in and we fix it or take the time to say, does this sound like your anxiety? Or if you've named it, which I highly recommend, you know, is this your Mr. Worry? And a lot of times when I talk about this in my online class, Crush Anxiety, and I talk about in other podcast episodes too, we really want to start to leave those breadcrumbs to get our kids to eventually play detective, give themselves what I call green thoughts in my class and fight those thoughts themselves and not for us to do it for them. That doesn't happen overnight. And so that takes time. And the first step in that is the communication aspect, because if my child's not even going to tell me what they're scared of, they're not even going to verbalize that, then I can't even help walk them through it. So the first step is definitely working on your communication. And then the second step is teaching them what is anxiety or OCD? And we're going to be talking specifically today about building the resilience in the anxiety and OCD category. It's great to build it with everything. And we will touch on that in general, but I'm I'm going to be very specific about that today. So a lot of times, surprisingly, parents have missed this step where they don't tell their kids, Hey, you have anxiety or you have social anxiety. And this is what it is. And this is how it shows up. Or you have OCD and this is how your OCD shows up. And this is what OCD is. Parents either don't do that because they don't want to label their kids. They don't do that because they haven't got a formal diagnosis, which can take sometimes years and the right mental health provider, which can almost be like finding a needle in a haystack, or they may not want to burden their child. I don't want to give them a label. I don't want them to feel different. So I'm not going to tell them they have anxiety or OCD. I'm just going to tell them, you know, we all have worries. So there are a lot of different reasons why parents aren't educating their kids. They may not even know how to educate their kids because they don't know what to say or how to explain it. Obviously, I have plenty of resources to help you with that. And there's other resources as well. And I would recommend looking at my YouTube channel because I have a zillion videos for kids and teens and how to explain anxiety and OCD is one of them. So, well, it's two of them because I have one video on what is anxiety and I have one on what is OCD. So if you go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash anxious toddlers 78, it's not for anxious toddlers. It's just the name and there's a search button. And so if you ever have a topic that you are wanting to help your child with, you can just type in that topic on my channel and that topic will pop up. I've done pretty much everything. So any topic is probably already covered. And if not, I'm probably about to cover it. So that's a good place to start because you want to start teaching your kids what is anxiety or OCD. Another good book is Outsmarting Worry. I like that one for older kids, kids who are like 10 and up. My book, Anxiety Sucks, is a really good one for anxiety. Another good book is Talking Back to OCD, and that's a really good one for parents and kids to listen to or read, and that's by John March, and I really feel like that's a good one too. So the basic message that I'm talking about in this part is teaching, educating your kids. Education is really important. And if we can't teach our kids what they have and how it's showing up for them, how are we supposed to expect them to independently fight this? Okay, moving on from there, because I just want to kind of hit these succinctly so that you can kind of get what I'm talking about in a rather short period of time. The next thing that I think you want to look at is what part do you play in their anxiety or OCD? This is not a blame game. 
it is more about we all participate in our kids' anxiety or OCD. It's literally impossible to not participate in your kids' anxiety or OCD. It's a family affair. I say that often. And so we have to look at what do we do? And I've never met a family, including myself, where there wasn't some stuff that I was doing to help the anxiety or OCD. So I recommend that you write down the things that you're doing. It could be very simple things like, you know, you walk on eggshells for certain things. We make sure that we don't touch his stuff, or we make sure that, you know, we wash everything before, you know, we do this, or we make sure that we clean the toilet the way that they want, or we put this towel down for them, or we do this for them. Like whatever you're doing that is more for the anxiety or OCD than for your child, that's accommodating. And you want to write that down. It's impossible really to get rid of accommodations all in one go. And it's, it's not effective. It's not a a good thing. You're going to overwhelm your child, but you want to start partnering with your child and say, these are the things that I'm doing to accommodate your anxiety or OCD. And let's look at this list and see where can we start where I start to pull back. I'm going to take one of these things off this list, but you can pick it out if you want so that you're more in control. So I think giving them some semblance of control and partnering with them can be very helpful. And then you can use this kind of in a, in a very simplistic way as well. And I'll give you some examples. We'll just use my kids as an example, because I always have a million of them. So yesterday, my son has been periodically having issues with going into his room or when things are dark, you know, or he hears a noise, especially at bedtime right now. And if you have a child with anxiety or OCD, you'll have things that will just pop up periodically, and then they go away for a while. And then you get new themes that pop up. But over time, you're still building their skills and they're getting better skills and more practice every time they have something new that they're working on. It's a good reframe and it's a good way to look at it because it can be a little overwhelming. So last night he was nervous about going into his room. No, he went to bed and then he came out and he said, mom, I heard a noise. And this is happening actually almost every night now. And so I could have fostered dependency and said, you're fine we're all here. I'm sitting right here. You're fine. And to be totally fair, sometimes that comes out of my mouth before I can even stop it. (laughs) It's like a normal parent thing to say, like, you're fine. I'm sitting right here. Now I don't want to one say you're fine because he's not fine. And so telling him he's fine when he's not fine is actually really not helping him realize that I get what he's going through. So we don't want to normalize it to the point where we just say you're fine because it's not how they're feeling. And then the other thing is me saying, I'm sitting here right there with you. I'm sitting right here. Don't worry about it. I'm right here. Why are you scared? Although that seems comforting, I'm really fostering codependence and almost every parent says these things. So if you are like, oh my gosh, Natasha, I say that all the time. Don't worry. So do the rest of us. But when we analyze it and we look at what we're really conveying, it's not a really good thing to convey because basically what we're saying is I got your back, you know, I got my shotgun and I'm sitting here protecting you. You're fine. (laughs) Like we're almost validating that they need to be protected and that we are the panacea. We are the solution. I talk a lot about that in my sleep class that we really don't want our kids to develop this relationship with us as the safety net. Like we are the protector. We are all safe in our house. I'm not the one keeping you safe. So with my son yesterday, I said to him, if I get up to go look for, you know, what that noise was, because that's what he wanted me to do, I'm going to be growing your squishy, which is what we call his anxiety and OCD. And so he said, well, mom, and this is, this goes back to the communication that I was just talking about. We've been working really hard on communication for like the past year 
So he was able to say, mom, this is a seven for me. So I can't do it by myself. Well, when he used that language, which I was so impressed with, because we talk about a one to 10 stress scale, he's like literally never given me a number. So I was really impressed with that. So then I got up and I said, well, if I go in your room, then I'm really not helping you. So what if I just stand here closer to your door and you go and play detective? When I say play detective, it's language that I use for anxiety, where I try to teach kids to play detective. If they hear a noise or a sound, I want them ideally over time to be brave enough to go check it out themselves. That's fostering resilience and that's minimizing dependency, but it doesn't have to be a black or white thing. It's not all or nothing. Nothing is. So there are so many baby steps that we can do in between all or nothing. And I think that's where parents kind of shut down as they think, well, my child will never go and check out, you know, a noise if he's scared. Okay. Well, my child couldn't either yesterday, but we work up to it, right? Some nights he completely can. I'll be sitting at the couch and I'll say, play detective. And then he'll say, oh, fine. And he'll turn the light on. He'll go look under the bed and in his closet. And then he'll be good. But this particular night, the noise upset him more. And so instead of completely giving in, you know, it's not like, okay, either he does it himself or I do it for him. There is all these baby steps in between for any issue that you are thinking about with your kids. I'm using this as an example, but it could be anything. So I stood there and then he turned on his light and he looked and then he was okay. And then I went back to the couch. So that is teaching them how to, you know, kind of own their own issues, how to use their skills. And I wasn't a hundred percent accommodating. So even when we're in the gray, that's better than being totally in the red where we are like completely accommodating our kids. Sometimes I think it's a habit where we're so used to accommodating that we don't even realize we're doing it anymore. We just naturally do these things. You know, if your child has a fear of throw up, you naturally are saying, honey, you're fine. You're not going to be sick. You're okay. Or your child says, well, I throw up and you go, no, right. Those are all reassurances that eventually make your child dependent on you versus slowly building it up and saying, do you think this is, you know, I try not to actually ask questions. Like, do you think this is your anxiety? I try to say it in a better way, although sometimes that language comes out of my mouth, but I try to say, this is your O cloud, or this is your squishy, or this is your Mr. Bossy, or like whatever name you have for it, which I do highly recommend that you name it if your child's willing to, because then I will say, you know, this is your O cloud and your O cloud always makes you feel nauseous. So what can you tell your O cloud? So instead of me being the panacea and I'm the relief, I'm trying to get my child to develop their own relief. And that may take time. They may say, I have nothing, right? We don't want them. This is the weird thing about resiliency. We don't want them to accept that they're going to be fine. (laughs) This is going to sound totally weird, but with anxiety and OCD, really the ultimate goal, the ultimate, ultimate goal that we are trying to do is get our kids to recognize that they'll be okay anyway with most things. So with the fear of throw up, you will be okay even if you throw up, right? Bad guys were not like, hey, even if you get attacked and killed, you'll be fine. (laughs) No, you can't do that. But you'll be okay if you go in the dark and you're going to feel uncomfortable or you'll be okay if you're not perfect, you'll still survive or you'll be okay if you get sick, you'll still be okay. We really want to teach resiliency that even if that does happen, that they can be okay and getting them to kind of Sometimes it depends on the theme, but getting them to accept the worst case scenario, um, definitely with the fear of throw up, it is getting them to accept that they may or may not throw up at any point in their life and that they will be okay. That is the angle that we do take 
for emetophobia, the fear of throwing up. But with a lot of these things, it's not us trying to make them feel better or them making themselves feel better. It's saying that they're still going to be okay, no matter what. So looking at your part in the accommodations is the next step. So we talked about developing communication. We talked about teaching them what anxiety or OCD is and how it works, the mechanisms of it, the more you do for it, or the more you avoid for it, the bigger it grows and the bigger demands it has on you and your family. And then we talked about your accommodations and what part we play in kind of fostering that dependence on us. So you also want to ask yourself, what other ways do I kind of send a message to my kids that they need me? Now, interestingly enough, when we take care of all of our kids' needs, like super mom or super dad, because we want to just be the best that we possibly can be for our kids, they tend to be much more dependent on us and they tend to second doubt themselves. And when they second doubt themselves, they also doubt their ability to fight their anxiety or OCD. So if your child is depending on you for other things outside of anxiety or OCD, it oozes into the fight for anxiety and OCD as well, because they feel like they can't do anything without your help, including battling their anxiety or OCD. So I also recommend that parents look at what other ways do they communicate that their child needs to depend on them. And that could be, you know, overdoing things for them you know, overdoing the chores for them or overdoing the meals for them or overdoing very simple things like laying their clothes out when they're old enough to pick out their own clothes or micromanaging their stuff where you're so involved in all of their small decisions, what they wear, what they do, that there's not any wiggle room for them to make their own decisions and then mess up and then learn, hey, I didn't like that. I didn't like the way that felt. And so next time I'm going to do it better. So when we swoop in and we don't allow our kids to do anything, and that could be really anything. It could be doing their own laundry, depending on their age, or making their own lunches, or getting their own clothes out, or organizing their own assignments, or bathing themselves, you know, or I've seen parents who are helping their kids in the shower when developmentally it's way past the time where their child should be taking independent showers. So sometimes that's an OCD related issue, but sometimes it's not. The parent will say, I just don't feel like they're going to get their hair cleaned or they're going to clean their room well enough, or they're going to do this or that well enough. And so we're inadvertently and unintentionally conveying a message that says, we just don't think you're going to, that you're not capable yet. You're not capable of doing this. So we all do that. There have been so many things that I've realized, oops, I think my kids should be doing this for themselves right now especially with my eight-year-old because she's the baby. I'm pouring her milk a lot because, oh, the milk jug is very heavy. (laughs) She's eight. She could probably handle it. And I've had to let her do it. And we've had many, many spills. And sometimes that triggers my own anxiety because spills and messes are kind of one of my anxiety themes. But I've had to like suck it up and say, she needs to learn how to pour her milk. I even at one point got like a smaller pitcher where I was going to pour the milk in there so she could pour it for herself, but she needs to learn how to pour a gallon of milk. So that's an example of something that I do or have been doing or did, and I'm working on letting her do herself. Now that might seem very, very tiny, but it's not to a kid because when I say, wait, wait, I'll get it for you. Or when she says, can I need milk? I need milk. Can you pour it for me? And she's right by the refrigerator and I'm like all the way, you know, in the living room. I'm conveying to her that she can't do it herself. So 
ask yourself, what are the things that you're doing that you feel like, hmm, I think my child should be able to do this. And then you start to pull back, not overnight, not everything, but you start to pull back your involvement in that. That does send a very big message of empowerment and it builds up resiliency. So the last thing I want to touch on before we go is offering challenges. A lot of times, and this is kind of like the end of both of my online classes, how to crush anxiety and how to crush OCD and how to crush social anxiety and actually helping kids with sleep fears, all four of those classes end with how to do challenges. So if you want to look at my online classes, just because I'm bringing them up, you can go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com and see what I'm talking about. But at the end of all of my classes and in my therapy as well, I'm guiding people to do challenges or for OCD exposures. They're really very much the same thing. They look a little different for anxiety. And I'm trying to get kids to slowly move towards their fears one step at a time. Now we can do that in a natural sort of way as well. So to use my son as an example, that was a good example of he was anxious about a noise. Sometimes I'll say, do you want to take a challenge? You can earn two points if you go check yourself. So we use a point system and my kids can turn in their points for prizes and like rewards or privileges. There's like a menu of different things that they can do in there. And that is something that we use all the time. So if my daughter will say, oh, I don't want to do that. That makes me feel sick. I'll say, well, you can earn a point for that. So motivating our kids to do things that are difficult and hard without our help, ideally. But like I said before with my son, a baby step is better than no step. So even if it's something like we negotiate and we say, okay, will you do it if I stand near you? That is much better. Or will you eat it? Okay, you won't eat it. Will you lick it? Or can you put your finger in it? Like that's great because it's just, we're inchworming our way to getting them to do something out of their comfort zone. So don't forget to offer your kids challenges, gamify it, offer points or rewards. I go into detail in my online classes about how to set those up, but on a simplistic level, it's just offering them some motivation to do something hard without your help. So I know I ran through those, but I hope you find those helpful just to kind of give you some ideas on how to start moving from dependency to resiliency. And it takes time. So please be patient with yourself and just start planting those seeds and putting those breadcrumbs out so that you can start moving your kids in the right direction. Well, I hope that you're enjoying my podcast. If you are, I always appreciate it. People could hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. And if you have a few extra moments and you like giving back, it is really nice to share what you're getting from this podcast with other parents who are listening. As a big thank you, I always like to read someone who took the time to leave a comment. And I want to thank Relax Daney. She wrote, great resource for parents and clinicians. I'm a licensed mental health clinician and a parent of a child with OCD and anxiety. And I'm so grateful for all the resources that Natasha provides. Her podcast is amazing and I get so much out of it as a parent and a clinician. I share her podcast and YouTube channel, website, and classes with my clients and their parents because I want my clients to have the best information and support they can get. Besides being very knowledgeable, she's down to earth, relatable, and compassionate. She makes the complexity of OCD and anxiety understandable. Well, thank you so much. That was a really nice review. I really appreciate it. And thanks for getting my resources out to the people that need it. So if you leave a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.